This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. Well, we are privileged to have a special guest with us this morning. Pastor Jason Laird is here from Sozo Church, all the way from San Francisco, California. And his uh, one of his team members, James, and then also his son, Nixon, is here with him. Let's give them a welcome this morning. Pastor Jason was one of the speakers that we had last year at our Love is Red conference. And what I liked about Pastor Jason, there's a lot of good preachers out there, but he really genuinely uh, loved his family. And I love any preacher that loves his family. And then earlier this year, I found out that he was a PK, preacher's kid, so I had a lot more in common with him. I loved him even more. Uh, So we invited him to come and minister to you this morning. So let's give him a welcome as he comes. All right. Come on, why don't you give Jesus your best praise? Come on. Come on, you can do better than that. It's the 11 o'clock service, the rowdy bunch. Yeah. Come on, why don't you look at the person sitting next to you, tell them, say, I'm so glad you made it to church. Now look at the other person you didn't want to talk to, tell them, say, you need some church. You need this. I know you. Well, man, it's so good to get to be here with you. I first want to start out by just giving honor to your uh, pastors here. How many of you love your senior pastors, Pastor Brent and Nicole? Come on, why don't you show some love and appreciation for them? I was, I was telling the last service, man, they, um, you just got to know, you got it good. You know, there's, there's a lot of good preachers and pastors out there. Um, but, you know, it's rare when you find uh, pastors that truly love people and love their family. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. There's some, sometimes you can meet a lot of pastors that are just, they're kind of about the crowds, but they're not about the people. I love your pastors because your pastors, they love you. Uh, it, it shows by, by whenever they talk about you, they talk about the church and, uh, and it's just been, uh, really a, just an honor to get to know them. And, uh, yesterday, you gotta know yesterday, your pastor just spoiled us. Uh, he found out that my youngest son, Nixon is a Blue Jays fan. And I don't even know how this happened, to be candid. We're from the south in the states. Uh, so, you know, everybody kind of likes Dallas Cowboys, which I don't like the Cowboys in football. Uh, but, oh, we got some Cowboys fans. Okay. We're going to have an altar call for that person uh, at the end of service. Um, my son comes home like two years ago. He's like, Dad, I'm a Blue Jays fan. I'm like, you're a Blue Jays fan? Literally, he's four years old at the time. And someone gave him a, a, a Blue Jays hat. And so he like fell in love with the Blue Jays. And he told me, he was like, Dad, you got to bring me to a Blue Jays game. And for two years, he's been asking me. But he told me, it has to be in Canada. We have to go to a game in Canada. And Pastor Brent found out about it, invited us to come back and to preach here on the weekend, but to be here and to bring him uh, to the game. And so yesterday, we went to the game. And, uh, and it was like, you've set the bar so high. I'll never be able to create an experience like this again. Thanks a lot. Uh, but, uh, no, you, you guys have pastors that love you. They love Jesus. That's a good thing. They love Jesus. Um, they're generous. They have a generous spirit, a spirit of honor, spirit of integrity. And, um, and I just, I honor you guys and tell you, thank you so much for letting me be here and to get to just share a little bit today, uh, with you. Um, I do pastor a church called Sozo church. It's kind of a different name. Sozo simply means to save, to heal, 
to set free and to make whole. And we just believe that that's what God wants to do in our city. You know, it's a city of almost a million people in San Francisco and um, less than less than two percent attend the Bible uh, preaching a life giving church. And so it's an area that needs the gospel. It's an area where um, a lot of times uh, people go there, pastors go there, plant churches and they don't make it. But we believe that God is doing something great in our city. We're seeing people say we saw 80 people come to faith in Jesus Christ in the last 10 months. We've seen a few dozen people baptized. God is doing something great, not just in our church, but in our city. There are other church planters that are planting and starting in our city. So when you think of us, pray for us um, as we continue to partner with you to reach people for the kingdom of God. Amen. Uh, how many are you ready to receive the word of God? Okay, about 40 of you. That's cool. I can preach to 40 of you. Then listen, the last bunch, those guys were rowdy, okay? And it's nine, it was 9 a.m., but they just felt, I think they drank like 18 cups of coffee. And they came in here. They were amped. They were charged. Now, I'm, I, I live in California, so I'm three hours behind. So right now, it's 1136 here. So, yeah, you do the math there. I mean, but I'm, I'm going to bring my A game. I'm going to give you my best. You give me your best. So as I preach, you can preach back to me. You can say amen. You can say uh, ride the bus, holler at your boy, preach a white boy. You can hum at me. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want. But the more you preach to me, I'm going to preach back. I'm going to preach faster, better. And uh, we're going to get you out of here. You're going to go get some good food. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter four. Uh, that'll be the text that we'll study today. Let me show you some pictures of my family really quick. Uh, do you have that picture of, of my wife up here? Can you throw that up here? Yeah, this is my wife, Jennifer. I told the last service that if you're atheist or agnostic and you don't believe there's a God or you're wondering if there's a God, if you look at this picture, this is proof. If you look at her and then look at me. This is proof that there is a God and he still does miracles. Amen. What are you laughing at? God does miracles. It's nothing short of the resurrection of Lazarus right there. Um, and then, you know, we've been married now. We, we started dating 20 years ago. We, we started dating when we met each other in junior high. We were at a Christian school. It was Christian by name, but not by nature. None of those kids there were Christians, okay? It was, just, it was a Christian school, but nobody knew Jesus. And we were all developing our testimony. And, um, <clears throat> and so we started dating 20 years ago. We got married 13 years ago. And, uh, and we, we started having kids. A few years later, we got a couple uh, results of our passion right here. Right here, here's... The youngest is Nixon. He's actually sitting right over here. Hey, Nixon, what's up, dog? That's my little man. He's, he's six years old, just made six. And then, uh, and then Liam right there, he's eight years old. Liam loves Jesus with all of his heart. Nixon does too. And, uh, I told him, you don't have to be in ministry if you don't want to, but if you want to, uh, if we can kind of keep it in the family and you can kind of take over the church and all that kind of stuff, it'd be fun. Kind of like what you guys have done there. And so I don't know if they're going to do it or not. I think Nixon wants to be like an astronaut or something, which is totally cool. You could plant a church on Mars. That would be awesome. So those are my, that's my family there. I'm a rich man because of uh, how God has blessed us. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a good friend of mine, James Davis. Um, he, he moved away from his hometown uh, and all the way across the country because the Lord told him to go and help us establish a kid's ministry at our church. Give us a year. Uh, he, he was on staff at a great church, a church of, listen to this, a church of almost, what, 50,000 people. He was on staff in the kids' ministry, and he left that church to come and to help us establish a kids' ministry in San Francisco. And he's been a faithful servant. He's a dear friend of mine, and I really believe that the best is yet to come for you. Thank you so much, my friend. Come on, we clap our hands for James with us. All right. 
John chapter 4, let's do some work on this text. I really love this passage of scripture. Uh, it's John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 3. Uh, this is what it says uh, concerning Jesus. It says, Jesus has been on a little ministry tour, and now he finds himself um, in this moment having an encounter uh, with an individual. And it really, it, it transforms and it shapes the city, and it's beautiful. But look at this. It says in verse number 3, uh, so he, Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well. Another name for Jacob, maybe in your Bible, is Israel. Israel's well. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk. I mean, just imagine, this is, this is God in the flesh, and he is tired. Tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some Chick-fil-A. Um, the woman was surprised. How many just got hungry when I said that? How many of you don't know what Chick-fil-A is? It's okay. Okay, you, okay a couple of you raise your hand. That's okay. That's right. It's the gospel bird. That's what we call it. It's, it's the Christian chicken is what it is. It's... And they're not open on Sundays. Okay. Uh, back to the text. It says he was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. If you were even aware of the gift that God has for you. You and, and who you are speaking to, you would be asking me. And I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well, it's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, uh, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob or Israel who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, please listen to the desperation. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Later on, Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah, the son of God to this woman. And he reveals his identity to her. And her life is transformed, as we'll see. And God uses this encounter to transform the city that she's from. But it all started with a thirsty woman. Okay, if you're if you're a little older in here, you may not know uh, this cultural phrase. But in our culture now, there's a phrase when someone says you're thirsty. That means that relationally, you you kind of get around a little bit. That's a, a cultural phrase. And and, and and this woman here, you will see that she... She's actually a thirsty woman with a reputation, and she's had many relationships, and Jesus begins to have a conversation with her about that. It it can even become an awkward conversation as you lean into it and look, but Jesus uses this conversation with an unfulfilled, thirsty woman to help her find fulfillment in himself. And so today I want to talk to you for just a few moments about finding fulfillment, finding fulfillment. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm not fulfilled. Well, you came to a good place because God's going to speak to you today. You're going to find out that you can find fulfillment in Jesus. There's some of you today, maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time. You've prayed the prayer. You got the Christian t-shirt. You got the sticker on your car. Like you are good. You even know the Christianese language, okay? But you still feel 
a little unfulfilled. It's all right because you came to a good place. God's going to fill you up today. I believe by the Holy Spirit, he's going to speak to you. He's going to transform you. You're not going to leave just challenged. You're going to be changed under the presence of God, under the power of God, and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just came here with faith that God's going to do something today. I just believe it. God's going to speak to people. Amen? I'm going to speak to you a message today called Made for More, or you are made for more. I believe that every single one of us, no matter where you're at now, you are made for more. You were made for more. And God's going to do more in your life. Amen. Come on, why don't you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is relevant to us today. Though it was written many, many, many years ago, it's still alive and it's active. And it, and it exposes our hearts. It, it shows us our deepest desires. But more than that, it shows us Jesus. And so I pray today as we look into the text that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today, that you would change us, you would challenge us, you'd help us to see the beauty of Jesus, the matchless grace of Jesus, that, that you would show us that, that fulfillment, that which we long for, the deepest desires of our heart, it is found in Jesus. So we love you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for the word of God. Um, I tell you what, by a show of hands, how many extroverts do we have in the house? Come on. This is your moment. You know, you want to raise your hand. You're an extrovert. You're like, that is me. Okay. How many in here? You're, you're an introvert. No, you don't even want to raise your hand. You're like, do I raise it? Do I, what do I do? I don't want anyone to look at me. You know, I love it. Um, I'm an extrovert. Okay. Um, I love people. I love to just, I love to go to parties. I love to be around a lot of people. It gives me energy. My wife, she's just the opposite. She's an introvert. When she gets around people, she can kind of just shut down a little bit. She just, she doesn't like to be around people. She would stay at home all day, every day, and just drink tea and read books. Like that, that is what she would love to do. Like her calling in life is like, I just want to drink tea and read a lot of books and bake cookies. It's awesome. You know, uh, me, I'm like, I feel called to just be around a lot of people. I just want to be around people. I love it. I, I love being around people. And that's probably a good thing because what I do is, is I pastor people. So that's probably a good thing. But there are sometimes in my life, I find that I, I do, though I'm an extrovert, though I love people, there are times in my life when I do find myself avoiding people. For instance, when I go to the grocery store, I, I don't want to see anyone from our church. Okay. I don't. I'm on a mission. My wife has given me, let's just be honest, fellas. My wife has given me an impossible list to figure out. Okay. <laughs> the men don't know. You don't know if you can laugh right now because you're sitting by your wife. You're like, I can't say nothing, bro. I'm not laughing. I'm with you though. I'm with you. It's confusing. No matter what you bring home, it's going to be wrong. I'm just telling you right now. Okay. This is not the one, Jason. This is wrong. This is 2.3% milk. I wanted 2%. I just, whatever. But I'm on a mission when I go to the store. I've got my list. I'm trying to figure it out. It's like the Da Vinci Code. I'm like trying to, you know, figure this thing out. I'm like following a map, a treasure map. And, the, and then I, I'll see someone out of the corner of my eye from our church. And I'm like, oh, dear God, no, I can't. Not now. Not now. And so I just sort of, I go into avoiding mode. I'm like just hiding. You think I'm like, I'm a ninja slipping through the frozen section. You know, and I'm just sneaking through there and I just, I just avoid people because I have a mission. I'm there. I got to accomplish the mission. I got to get home and I've got something to prove. I want to prove to my wife, I know what I'm doing. And, and it, 
I have, I have not done that yet in, in 13 years. I, I, I'd never come home with the right stuff. But never seems to fail me. Every time I go to the grocery store, there's someone from our church. And, um, and you know, they'll come up to me when they finally do see me. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Pastor Jason. I'm like, oh, hey, Sandy. And she's like, I didn't even see you. I was like, I didn't see you either. <laughs> God forgive me for that right there. You know, I'm doing a counseling session in the frozen food section. It's amazing. Um, at the gym, I avoid people at all costs at the gym. When I'm working out, I'm on a mission. I'm trying to not, you know, have the chubby bunny and, you know, be a little larger. Like, I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to work out. I'm, trying, I'm on a mission. I'll even put earphones in my ears, not even listening to anything. Just with the, the impression that I'm focused and I'm listening to nothing. I'm just, it's just working out. Uh, when I'm on a plane, this is the place where I, I just avoid, I love people, but I avoid people on the plane. I got my hoodie. I'll put my hoodie on, my earphones, probably listening to nothing. And I'll, I'll get on the plane because I know that on a plane, here's what's going to happen. I love people. But on a plane, at some point, the person sitting next to me is going to say, so what do you do? <laughs> and right then, I've got to either lie or tell them the truth, Right. If I say I'm a pastor, uh, it could get a little odd right there. Um, we get in a theological discussion, probably a debate. And so a lot of times I just, you know, I tell them I work at a bank, you know, something like that. I'm kidding, guys. I don't do that. I, maybe sometimes. But our worship pastor, he works in oncology. He's an oncologist nurse. And uh, when he goes on the plane, he told me, he said, it's just as bad, uh, you know, than being in ministry. Because when he tells someone he's in oncology, you know, there's been so many people that have been impacted by cancer. Either themselves, they've had cancer, or someone in their family. And, uh, and my friend, you got to know, he's a compassionate person. He loves, he feels called to, the, to oncology to serve people that have cancer. But he told me, he said, man, when I'm on the plane and I tell someone I'm in oncology, he goes, if it's a five-hour flight for the next five hours, we're talking about every person that's ever had cancer answer that they know. And so he said, if he says it, if he has enough courage to say he's an oncologist nurse, uh, and then, then he'll say, I'm in oncology. And if they start going that route, he'll say, did I say oncology? I meant recology. I work at a garbage dump and <laughs> immediately the conversation changed. Just avoid people. There are some times where you, you do, if we're, if we're honest, there are some times where you do avoid people, no matter how much you like people. Um, this particular story in John chapter 4 is interesting because um, it doesn't say it just like out front, but most scholars believe that this woman in John chapter 4, that she's, she's a woman that is avoiding some things. For instance, one of the things that the scholars believe is that because she's going to get water at a well in the middle of the day at noon, this is the sixth hour of the day, which means it's at noon. This is the hottest part of the day. I've been to this area. I've, I've been around Samaria. I've been around this place. And it, it is hot in the middle of the day. And for her to be going to the well to get water, just to meet a practical need that she has, she's thirsty, just to go with her jar to get water, to bring it home, just to satisfy the thirst in her life, to satisfy, uh, just, just this, this, to quench this thirst, this, 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 this normal thing, this normal need that we all have, just to go and get that, to go in the middle of the day, that, that's not a good idea. Most of the women in that town, and in the ancient eastern world, most of the women would go early in the morning in the cool of the day. But for some reason, she's going by herself in the middle of the day. Most scholars believe it's because she's trying to avoid the other women of her town. See, the women would go in little, little groups 
like all women do. You know, he's like, I need to go to the powder room. And like 25 of you go. Men do not do that, okay, unless we're at a sporting event. You know, it's like, but, but, but women like to just roll in crowds, right? And, and this woman, she decides to go at noon because she, she doesn't want to be around the other women. Why is that? Well, as we'll see in the text later on, is this woman, she, she's had five different husbands. And now she's, she's in a sixth relationship, and she's not even married to this guy. I mean, in, even in, in our culture today, that would be if someone told you, yeah, I've been married six times. And if that's you today, man, we have compassion and grace and mercy for you. We all have our issues. My issues have issues, okay? I'll be straight up with you. We all have our stuff. But even in our culture today, if someone's been married for about six times, they would probably be looked at a little, a little strange. In this culture, if you've been married that many times, you're a social outcast. This woman, I, I don't know why she's been married this many times. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But it's really only one of three things probably, right? Either one, all five of these men have divorced her and left her because maybe she wasn't good enough for them. Imagine the rejection that she has felt. Maybe you've been divorced here. Maybe someone has left you. Your husband abandoned you. My dad abandoned my mom, left my mom. And, and it left her in a place of brokenness and deep insecurity, feeling unwanted, feeling abandoned. Imagine that five times, if that's the case with her. Well, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe she divorced them. Maybe she just couldn't find a man that could satisfy her needs and satisfy the deepest longings of her soul. Maybe she could find no one that she could really, truly connect with. And she was like, I'm done with this one. I want another one. I'm done with this. I want another. Probably not the case because in this day and age, the women wouldn't divorce the men. The men would divorce and leave the women. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's neither one of those things. Maybe it's not an issue of divorce. Maybe she's had five husbands die. And if, if, if in this culture you've had five husbands die on you, you were thought to be cursed. If just a few husbands had died. And now she's with this sixth guy. Why won't he marry her? Maybe he's thinking, man, I ain't trying to die. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe she's thinking, I, I just, I can't keep going through this. We don't know why, but what we do know is this, is that she keeps going from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. This is a woman that she's avoiding the women of the city. She's avoiding everyone. And now she's walking up to this well, carrying this jar, just thinking, I just need to get some water, get back home and be by myself. And she sees Jesus. She doesn't know who he is. She just sees a man. I imagine she's thinking, I, I don't feel like getting in a conversation with anyone today. And then she sees that it's a Jewish man at that. She's like, great. I'm a Samaritan. This is a Jewish guy. We're, you know, we don't talk to each other. I just don't even want to, like, please, just I pray he does not speak to me. I just want to get my water and go home. And when she walks up, Jesus, he breaks all the rules, doesn't he? Jesus says, hey, can I have a sip of water? A Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman. Men didn't speak to women in situations like this, and definitely a Jewish man wouldn't speak to a Samaritan woman. And she says, do you, do you realize, like, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan? Like, we're at, there's, there's racial tension between our two people groups, and we don't really like each other. Do you realize that? Also, do you know the gender issue here? I'm a woman, you're a man. Like, she's like, basically, basically she's saying, can you just leave me alone? I don't feel like talking to you. She's, she's throwing her walls up. I think she has a trust issue with men. She's throwing the walls up, and Jesus just goes, I just want to drink a water. Can you give me some water? And she, she says, no, no, I, I'm just like, no, I don't want to go there. And then he says, oh, if you only knew. <laughs> I love Jesus. 
if you only knew who you're talking to. And the gift of God, the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me, and I'd give you living water. I'd give you something that would quench your thirst forever. And she starts getting in this discussion with him saying, oh, so you think that you have better water than than Israel, than Jacob. So you have better water than him. Where can I get this water? You're going to give me this water? And they start talking back and forth. And it's amazing. Jesus, he's so strategic in his conversation. You could learn so much about evangelism from this. He talks to her about something practical, water. And then he moves into something relational. He says, you want some water? Uh, Go get your husband. And she goes, "Uh, excuse me? He goes, yeah, yeah, go go home. Go get your husband and come back. I'll hook you up with some water. And she says, I'm not, uh, I don't have a husband. I'm, I'm not married. And Jesus just goes in for it right here. He goes, you're right, you're not married. You've actually had five husbands and the guy you're living with now, you're just shacked up with him like you're not even married. And she goes, mm, <clears throat> Jesus. <laughs> I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus says this to her. And it seems so out of character for Jesus. It it seems so different from the Jesus that heals people and loves people and and embraces children and, and, and feeds the masses. And he's so compassionate to this woman. He says something that seems so much like he is just cutting at her heart. He says, go get your husband. You've had five husbands. The sixth guy you're with. Why is he doing this? When you read this and you begin to lean into the text, you're like, Jesus, what are you doing here? Why are you going so harsh? Why are, why are you, you, you seem a little bit intrusive and you're just, why are you doing this? And here's why. Listen, Jesus is putting her in touch with the nature and the intensity of her real thirst. He's showing her in the same way you keep coming here day after day to get water, day after day. You're coming here to try to satisfy uh, your physical thirst. You've been going from man to man to man, relationship to relationship, sexual encounter to sexual encounter, all these different things. And here's why you're doing it. Because you're thirsty in here. And you're empty and you're broken. And it's not working, is it? See, you should write this down. This is the first thing I think that Jesus is teaching us is before God can fulfill us, we must first acknowledge our failed attempts to fulfill ourselves. See, this woman has been trying to fulfill herself with relationships. And it's not working. It's a broken system. It cannot deliver on true satisfaction and true fulfillment. I love how God said it through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me. They've walked away from me. The fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns or broken wells that can hold no water at all. Listen, before God can fulfill us, we must first acknowledge our failed attempts to fulfill ourselves. Jesus is saying something to her and dealing and just going to the heart of the issue. It's, it's, this is, today is not about water that you're drinking. Today is about you have an emptiness and a thirst on the inside of you and it's broken. The way that you're trying to meet this and satisfy your soul, it's not working and I want to deal with that today. I want, I'm going to push in on this right now. I know you feel uncomfortable, but we've got to have this conversation. We've got to deal with it. If we don't deal with that, then you're never really going to find fulfillment. You see, we live in a culture, listen to me, church, we live in a culture now where we love to be consoled in church, but we don't like to be confronted in church. We live in a generation now that when we read God's word, we love to be comforted by his word, but we don't really like it when the Holy Spirit uses his truth 
to pinpoint areas of our life that he wants to deal with. But Jesus, like any good surgeon, he only cuts you to heal you. He cuts us so that he can heal us. He cuts out those things in our life that is destroying us, that are perpetuating this emptiness and this thirst and this brokenness because it will never work. It will never fulfill. It will never satisfy. So what am I asking you? Is this, is, is what is it in your life that you find yourself trying to find fulfillment in? This isn't just a non-Christian question. This is for all of us. I believe that all of us, at some point, we find ourselves trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in things, don't we? It could be success. It could be money. It could be achievement. It could be you're trying to find your identity in education. It could be recognition, regard, reward. It could be that promotion that you're seeking, that relationship. Maybe even you're single and you're longing to be married and you're thinking this. If I could just get married, then I would be happy. Or maybe you have no children and, you're, and you've been barren and you're just praying. If I could only get kids, if I could have kids, then I'd finally be fulfilled. Listen, I've walked through that with my wife. We, were, we could not have kids for a long time. And there was a time when God dealt with me and said, here's the problem, Jason, is you think that if you guys have kids, then finally you'll be satisfied. And he was like, I want you to find your fulfillment in me. Your satisfaction in me. A great preacher once said this, is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we have come to him and we say, God, you are all that I want. Like David, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I want. What, are you, what is he saying? My fulfillment is in you, God. My, my, my satisfaction is, or my soul is being satisfied in you. God, you're all that I want. You're all that I need. It's when we get to that place, that is where fulfillment is at. When we have come to the wells of Jesus, the waters of life, and we have drank deep of his grace and his love and his mercy, and he showered us with that, and we've experienced radical acceptance, man, there is something that it does to our souls. And this woman, she's in this moment, and Jesus begins to deal with her self-satisfying system that's not working. Let me ask you this. Jesus says to this woman, go home and get your husband and come back here and then I'll satisfy your, your thirst. If Jesus were speaking to you today, what would he tell you to go home and get? What would it be? Go home and get, go home and then come back and let's talk about your job. Go home and let's, let's come back here and let's talk about your sexual addiction. Go home and come back here and let's talk about, about how you, 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 you just think that if you make more money, it's going to satisfy. What would he tell you? Go home and get and let's talk about it now because we've got to deal with that first. See, that's how good God is. He's so good that he will love us right where we're at, but he will never leave us where we're at. He's got to go to that place. He's got to deal with that place. Here's the second thing for you is this. I think in this text we find that fulfillment is the gift of God for anyone. If you look at this, this woman in this particular day, according to a lot of the religious people, she's completely disqualified to have an encounter like this with God. She's so messed up. Her reputation is so, so just, just completely screwed up. She does not deserve to have a moment like this with God, according to the people of her day. But I love Jesus because he, he radically breaks all of our, our rules and our religious boxes and paradigms. He radically just smashes through it. And he says, what I have for people, it is a gift. And it is for anyone. It's for any person that is out there that's willing to come. You know, the only prerequisite to being fulfilled by God and satisfied by the grace of God is to admit that you're thirsty and for you just to come to him. 
That's it. That's the only pre-qualifier. That's the only qualification is you just got to say, I'm thirsty. And you come to him and he welcomes you to him. I love it because it says in Revelations 22, come, let anyone who thirsts, who is thirsty, come, let anyone who desires drink freely. Aren't you thankful that the gospel tells us that the love of God, the mercy of God, a second chance, a new beginning, freedom, forgiveness, all is free. He's paid for it. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. We're not like the other bogus, false, fake world religions that say you got to do this and do this and do this. And then God will be pleased with you. No, Jesus came and lived in our place, died in our place. And now freely we receive the gift of salvation. We freely receive the gift of God. That is the gospel. It is free. Oh, I love it. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money. Come. You who are bankrupt, he says. You come. Come, it's an invitation. Anyone, even if you have nothing to bring to the table, you come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come, it's an invitation. The gospel is an invitation for bankrupt people to just come. Anyone, just come. God beckons people. Come. We live in a city right here. You live in a city where there are people that are thirsty, that are hungry. May you always be a church that says it's a gift. You don't have to get your life together before you can belong. You don't have to behave right before you belong. You don't have to believe right before you belong. Anyone, come. If you're thirsty, come. This grace is for you. This gift is for you. May you be a church for thirsty people. And may you say, come. We welcome you here. I love this. Grace is getting what you, des- what you need the most, but you deserve the least. That is the gospel. This is a gift for anyone. Anyone. John chapter 7 says this. Let, let spiritually good looking people come to me and drink. Let the people who have sorted out the moralism come to me and drink. Let those that can speak Christianese come to me and drink. No, let anyone. Let anyone. I love that about Jesus. He draws his circle big. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely, he says. You know what's so interesting about this woman is, is that she's been with six different men. And those six different men could not satisfy her. And now she meets a seventh man. This man is Jesus. She's at the well of Jacob, the well of Israel, encountering a seventh man. This man, Jesus, he is the true and greater well of Israel, the true living water. Six represents the number of man. She's been with six men, and now she's with a seventh man. Seven represents the number of perfection, completion, fulfillment. I think the nuance of this is this, is that six, this, is, this number six has been her own attempts to satisfy herself, and now she meets the only man that could ever satisfy her. She meets Jesus. And it's in this conversation, I think it's the first time she's ever had a man look her in the eyes and know the worst about her and yet still believe the best in her. A man that's not asking her for anything. He's, he, he's, when he asked her for a sip of water, it was just a setup for him to give her something. He doesn't want anything from her. He wants something for her. Every other man up until this point just wants something from her, wants her body. Wants what she can do for, for them. And Jesus, this, this man, Jesus, he's like, I don't want anything from you, lady. 
I just want to give you something that would transform your life. I want you to be so satisfied, so fulfilled. You don't have to keep coming back here. You don't have to feel the burden of, of being ashamed of your life. You don't have to feel the burden of people mocking you and laughing at you. Your life can look different. I want to give that to you. And in that moment, this conversation happens about worship and all these theological and spiritual things. And finally, she says, you know what? I don't have the answers to all this worship stuff and spiritual things. I just know one day a Messiah is going to come. One day this Messiah that God is sending that will be the Savior of the world, he's going to come. And Jesus looks at her and he says, I think it's verse 25. He says, the one you've been waiting for, the Messiah, you're looking at him. I am he. The Bible says in that moment, she experiences this radical grace and acceptance from, from God. She drops her well or drops her jar at that well and takes off running. Notice Jesus did not even have to tell her, hey, go and tell a bunch of people to come to church. He didn't say, go and tell a bunch of people out there to come in and, and, and experience me. He just, he just shows her radical grace and love, radical acceptance. She experiences that and her experience with God makes her want to go for God. I think a lot of times in our churches, people, we, people become complacent and they're no longer inviting people to come and see, no, no longer inviting people into the family of God because they're no longer experiencing the radical love and grace and mercy of God. But when you experience him, when you have come to God and you've experienced his grace and his love and his mercy, you'll want to go for him. She drops her jar at the well. She runs back to Sychar and she starts running around telling everyone, you got to come and see a man that has told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? She tells everyone and they say, we've got to go and see this man. They start making their way towards the well. And the Bible says that the disciples, they had just asked Jesus, hey, why are you talking to that woman? What do you, what do you, what do you, do you, are you have you eaten some food? And Jesus says, guys, read it when you get a chance. Jesus says, guys, I, I don't need any food. I have food that you know nothing about. I have nourishment, substance that you know nothing about. And it's this, it's my food, my nourishment, my fulfillment comes from doing the will of my father. Then he looks at these guys and he says, guys, look up. And I imagine he's pointing in the field and there's a crowd of people from Sychar coming towards him. And he says, guys, look up. The harvest is here. The harvest, look, look up, guys. You know what he's telling them? My fulfillment comes from helping other people find fulfillment in me. That's where my fulfillment comes from. Can I tell you this, church? Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, you're saved, you've been a part of church for a while, but you still feel unfulfilled. Could it be that the reason you feel unfulfilled is because you've drank of the water of life, but you're not helping other people find fulfillment from the water of life? I think one of the most fulfilling things in the Christian life is once we've tasted to see that the Lord is good, we go and we find other people that have never experienced it. I, I think when we've, when we've truly experienced the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and we've tasted and we, we see and we've experienced that the Lord is so good. We sang about it earlier, God, you're so good to me, that the natural thing, like the reaction from that, is this is that we go and we tell people, you got to come and experience this. You know what evangelism is? It's one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. It's one thirsty, thirsty person telling another thirsty person where they found the water. That's what evangelism is. And it's the most fulfilling thing when you're able to listen, when you're able to go and you, you tell your barista at the coffee shop or the person that you work with in the cubicle next to you or the person that lives in your neighborhood. You just tell them, hey, listen, you got to come and check this church out. 
you got to, like, I don't know. I, I, I've never experienced anything like it. It's, it's like the people are not weird. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. The music's great. You should come and see. Come and see for yourself. Listen, you don't have to have a theological degree to tell a thirsty person. Just come and see. You don't have to know the Roman road to tell somebody, come and see. You don't have to have a systematic theology book to be able to tell a hungry person, I know where you can be fed. Just come and see. I'm telling you, there's something so fulfilling about this. When you invite someone that you have invested your life into, and they don't know Jesus, you invite them to come to church. And they come on a Sunday, and, and you're just praying, God, I pray it's not a weird Sunday. God, I pray that they play those songs that I really like, but not that weird song. God, I pray Pastor Brent doesn't say anything dumb today. <laughs> so my church does to me. Jason, don't say, don't say anything stupid today. Okay, okay. And you have one of those days. Why? You're invested in it because you've brought somebody with you. And you, you want their experience at the well to be amazing. And the message or the worship goes and the worship was amazing. You're like, okay, we're good. We're good. No one like took off running around the church today. It was good. It's good. It's good. And then Pastor Brent starts preaching like his best message and he's wearing like a really great outfit. I mean, he's just, you're like, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. Look at my pastor. And he's just doing good. He's like, man, he's nailing it. I mean, he's just like crushing the message. And then at the very end, like you're, you're not even getting anything out of this because you're just wondering what their experience is. You didn't worship at all. You're just like. You're not taking notes. You're like just holding your pen. You're just like looking at them and you're just like wondering like what are they thinking? Like is, is lunch going to be weird afterwards? Like, you know, you just think. And then that moment comes. We're at the very end. Pastor Brent says, everyone bow your heads, close your eyes. Everyone closes their eyes, but you keep one eye open. <laughs> because you're invested. You have went and you told your thirsty friend to come and see. And so now you're, you're cheating. You have one eye open. Pastor Brent says, you know, if you don't know Jesus and you want to commit your life to Jesus today, he wants to satisfy your soul. He wants to, he wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a fresh start and a new beginning. Today, you can just commit your life to Jesus. We want to pray with you. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to lift up your hand and you're just like, oh, God, what is he going to do? What's he going to do? And then it happens. You see your friend that you've been praying for for eight years begin to slowly lift his hand up. You see your son that's been a prodigal for the last five years that gave up on God, but you see tears streaming down your son's face. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most fulfilling parts of the Christian life. When a thirsty person tells another thirsty person, where they can find the waters of life. I want to encourage you with this today as the band comes up in my final few moments. First, my encouragement is this, is to those that serve on the city team here. Many of you, you work jobs all week long, 60, 70 hours a week. You got a lot going on. And yet you show up here early in the morning, all because you care about the thirsty people of this city. I want to tell you this, city team, those that volunteer your time faithfully, you sacrifice and you serve, thank you for doing what you do.
And for those of you that are here today and you say, you know what? I feel like I'm at that place where there's more. There is more. I know there's more. I think God sent me here to say this to you. I I challenge you. Don't just be a consumer. Be a contributor in this house. I challenge you. Join the city team. Maybe serving on the weekend or serving in the community some kind of way. I, I promise you this that the more that you long for, it could be that God wants to mobilize you to start bringing some thirsty people to the well. Maybe it's inviting people from your community, from your workplace. I'm not sure what it could be. I believe the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But I would, I would challenge you to say that one of the things that, that maybe you're missing is that you're not, you're not in that place where you're like that woman going and just inviting people to come and be a part. I want to challenge you with that. I think there is some of the greatest fulfillment in the Christian life that's found in helping other people find fulfillment in God. Amen. Come on, I want you to bow your heads with me. Lord, we love you so much. We just thank you for these moments today. I believe that you've spoken to people's hearts. God, I know you've spoken to my heart. You've, even while I'm speaking, you're reminding me of the joy of sharing my faith with people and inviting people to join the journey and the joy of serving and the fulfillment that comes there but also God you just reminded me as I'm as I'm speaking today of that moment in my life where I was so empty and lost no relationship with you I didn't know peace the peace of God I had no relationship with Jesus I was thirsty going from relationship to relationship drug addiction to drug addiction all those things, I was trying to quench a thirst and nothing would truly satisfy. I'd be satisfied for a moment only to be empty and thirsty again. And God, it was in that moment in 2000 in my mom's apartment in a room by myself on my knees. I bent down and I drank deep of the wells of your grace, the living water of Jesus. My life was changed saved me and forgave me and gave me a fresh start and a new beginning. I thank you for that. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.